Well, welcome back to the Sage Advisory Podcast. I am Roman Samuels. I'm the regional consultant here at Sage. And I'm with my good friend, Compson Silipachai. How are you, Compson? Hey, Roman. How are you? I am doing great, man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix things up. I'm going to just throw out maybe a statement that I hear from advisors all the time. I hear it from advisors in the field that they're constantly telling me, Roman, are mutual funds dying? Are they going to be obsolete in the future? What would you say to that? I mean, when you look at the market, ETFs, there's 2,000 in existence. You know, it's really exploded in size at 3.4 trillion assets. Mutual funds, there's 9,000 of them in the US with $19 trillion in assets. So when people talk about the demise of mutual funds, you gotta think about really the size you know, that it is today. And you know, it, it has its place. Yeah, what you're saying it seems like is, <clears throat> hey, it's not a war, right? It's, it's not an either or, both are serving different things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're designed to do different things. Why would, you know, a mutual fund be a better choice or would it be a better choice for a certain investor versus an ETF? I think a mutual fund typically is going to be active. So most of the assets in mutual funds are active management. And what I mean by that is they have a stated benchmark. That portfolio manager of the mutual fund will then try and outperform that benchmark Mm -hmm. through, through various active strategies, primarily security selection. ETFs, on the other hand, they're both open-ended. ETFs are open-ended as well. However, 99% of assets under management are, are indexed. In an ETF product? Yes. Okay. So the, for someone that's looking for a wide range of active strategies, I think they would gravitate more towards mutual funds because they, historically they've been more act, you know, there's been more active strategies within that, that type of fund structure. Now you're seeing a lot of active strategies um, launch in ETF land, you know, we're still not there yet as far as size, but um, you're seeing a few ETFs really, really getting critical mass on the active side. So it sounds like what you're saying is underlying the mutual fund and ETF discussion is another discussion that's at work here, and that discussion is active versus passive, and where investors are putting assets under passive strategies or active strategies. And we've definitely seen from the advisor community and from the retail investor a tremendous movement over the last few years into passive strategies. It's got some folks wondering, will there be a a place for active management or will it all become passive at some point in time? And this is questions we've been hearing from advisors in the field. What would you say to a question like that? Passive has really grown due to a number of reasons. So number one, when you talk to anyone that's in investment space, what is the most common index? Typically it's gonna be the SP 500. That's your large cap US. That's the thing that's performed really the best out of most of the major indices globally. And so, Oftentimes folks will say, well, like, why do I need to pay, you know, anyone to select securities for me in an active strategy when I can, I just look on, you know, in the paper on TV um, and, and the top strategy is, you know, being passive in the SP 500. So I think one of the things is we've been in a bull market led by the most headline index out there. The second one is the proliferation of asset allocation strategies. I think one of the benefits of ETFs is it provides a lot more niche type index. So it's passive. But now you're able to get Germany, you know, country allocation. You're able to get machine learning you know, thematic strategies, very niche strategies that I think that you couldn't get in an indexed fashion in a mutual fund space. 
And so with those choices, these asset allocators are now able to structure portfolios. And yes, while they're quote unquote passive, there are a lot of decisions and I call them, they are active decisions in constructing the portfolio. And we talked about asset allocation in the last episode. You know, creating that portfolio is, a, is an exercise that's, that's non-trivial. It's actually, you have to determine the risk profile. You have to make sure that the things you put into portfolio are gonna achieve that, you know, um, the best return for your risk and you gotta remain diversified. And so, and, and some people choose to, you know, they're more return seeking, they wanna be more concentrated. In particular asset classes, ETFs now provide the wide breadth of things that you, where you can express those views. And so a lot of folks have uh, allocated to those strategies. Um, and so you're seeing kind of, when you look at just a line chart of passive versus active, yes, passive has really gone up, but a lot of that growth has been because some of these new strategies are providing you, whereas before a manager would have to go out and buy a you know, basket of individual securities to get exposure to the retail sector. Now there's a retail ETF. It's not so much that the growth of ETFs means that active management is not there anymore. What you're saying is that in large part, the growth of ETFs is because active management is continuing to evolve into other arenas. And I, the way I would frame the active versus passive debate would be to step outside of it and say that's the wrong question to be asking. You know, there's no truly passive way to invest. You have to always make a decision on you know, staying invested. You have to make a decision on, you know, um, your set of investments. And I think that that's, you know, when you, when you talk about active, active management as it was before, it was, you know, we're going to delegate. We, whether it's an asset manager or advisor or client, um, was delegating active management to say, okay, well, I just want equity exposure. I'm just going to buy this fund. They can do anything with it. Now you're delegating some of it. You're saying, hey, I want to be in these market segments. So I'm going to actually allocate to these passive structures. But in the U.S. equity piece or in the fixed income piece, I'm going to allocate it to this fixed income manager on the active side because I think there's actually outperformance to be earned there but all these other niche strategies or um, all these other industry or country bets that I want to have, you can still um, you know, allocate to those passive strategies. Yeah, there's this, there's this room that opens up to start blending. Okay, where, where do I want to get alpha? Maybe I'll choose an active manager there. And for the rest, maybe I go passive. But it also sounds like what you're saying is that what ETFs do a little bit differently than the mutual fund is the ETF primarily so far is designed to give the investor access to a market segment's return rather than providing the investor the potential to outperform that market segment, which is really what a mutual fund comes in and tries to say, right? A mutual fund, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but a mutual fund tends to come in to say, okay, if your market segment is large cap value and I'm a mutual fund, I'm benched against the S&P, I'm gonna to put together a portfolio that is trying to outperform that market segment versus most of the ETFs out there are coming in and saying, I'm just gonna try and give you access to that market segment's return. Yeah, and I think I would add to that and say, active mutual funds would be saying, hey, I wanna outperform you know, the index by security selection. Um, ETFs, yes, they're, they're gonna be either replicating the index in a full replication strategy or just something that, like you said, your tracking error, which is the, the, the standard deviation of returns versus a benchmark, is gonna be a lot smaller 
in these index strategies. You know, moving a little bit deeper into maybe some of the differences that exist between an ETF structure and, an, and a mutual fund structure, I get a lot of questions from advisors who they say to me, you know, Roman, I've, I've heard that ETFs are, you know, more tax efficient. You know, I've heard they're better for liquidity. I've heard that, you know, they, they can be traded like a stock versus a mutual fund. But, you know, I, I do sense that within these advisor questions, they're trying to understand why ETFs might be a little more tax efficient than mutual funds or why they might be a little more liquid. Could you talk to us about some of those structural differences and why sure. why ETFs tend to have that type of reputation? One of the great facets of, of ETFs is that they're exchange traders. You can trade them like a stock. Um, it's real time. Um, so you can at noon or at 1 p.m., you can you can get in and out. Versus a mutual fund, which you know, would basically the NAV would readjust once a day. Right? Exactly, it has daily liquidity. Um, also, ETFs, as I mentioned before, typically passive. 99% of assets are passive. Mutual funds typically active. And so the artifact of, of those two types of, you know, those two effectively trends in these different types of products means that ETFs typically have a lower cost. So you're seeing fees, expense ratios in ETFs be much lower than they are in mutual fund space, and that's because there are a lot of passive index strategies within ETFs is a lot more scalable. Uh, ETFs are a little bit more transparent, so you can see these positions on a daily basis. Mutual funds typically reveal, um, report um, positions on a quarterly basis. And is this because the mutual fund manager is in some way, shape, or form trying to protect the secret sauce that leads to the mutual fund's outperformance, where an ETF is, you know, really just kind of opening the hood and saying, you know, here's what the ETF's gonna buy, basically. Well, the rules around reporting are are just the rules of, of the, those, those types of fund structures, and so it's not really a result of the intent of the portfolio manager. It's really um, just a, it's just an artifact of those types of funds. Now, if you're a portfolio manager with a really good active strategy and you don't want to quote unquote tip your hand every single day and show every one of your positions, a mutual fund structure may be more advantageous. And you can say, look, I'm going to give you the outperformance. You know, just invest with this portfolio for an X amount of time and you know, you're going to get quarterly transparency. An ETF typically is going to be indexed. A daily transparency ETF is not really, there's not really an advantage or disadvantage to, for the portfolio manager in terms of, because you're not trying to outperform the market. Is it fair to say that the ETF portfolio, for the most part, is not really changing, right? What they're buying. An ETF is really just buying the same, you know, basket depending on the criteria. Is that fair to say? Or? Exactly. That's right, right there. I can see how that would lend itself to an ETF product being more tax efficient. Because a lot of times when, if a mutual fund manager is buying and selling securities more actively than an ETF, that could potentially result in capital gains. And those capital gains are, are passed on to the shareholders of the fund versus an ETF might be doing a lot less buying and selling than its mutual fund counterpart. Is that fair to say? Right. And so there are really two big parts of why ETFs are structurally more tax efficient. And you, you hear this cited all the time. And so... Um, there's a lot of confusion around this. But the first one is that because they're more passive, um, there's going to be less trading. So that's exactly getting to what you're saying. Um, there's going to be less turnover in the portfolio as a whole. The second one is a little bit more nuanced, and it's through the creation and redemption process. 
And so let me go through kind of how a mutual fund, if you were to buy or sell or try to put in cash into a fund to buy shares or redeem shares to get cash, how that works. In order to um, create shares or redeem shares, it's, it's a cash process. So what that means is um, when you infuse cash into a portfolio, the portfolio manager then has to go out and buy those shares in the market, take the cash from you and then buy those shares in the market. When you redeem cash, um, the portfolio manager will then have to sell those securities and at the end of the day, um, re you know, return that cash to you. And this is that, under a mutual fund structure. This is under a mutual fund structure. Now, there's a few um, implications for that. First implication is in mutual funds, you know, managers will sometimes have to carry a, um, an allocation of cash in order to meet those redemptions. When you carry a structural allocation of cash, you may have cash drag. The second one is, you know, in the redemption process, in order when you're selling those securities in order to meet, let's say, Roman, you're redeeming shares in order to meet your redemption. As a portfolio manager, I have to sell the shares to give you the cash. Those, if I'm selling shares with low cost basis, generating some capital gains taxes on the fund, giving cash to you, Roman, now that, that kills capital gains taxes on the fund, are borne by all the resulting shareholders of the fund. And so that's a disadvantageous situation where you know, shareholders of the fund are paying capital gains taxes. And that's just a part of the, you know, really the portfolio management process in mutual funds. Now in ETFs, that creation and redemption is really different. Most ETFs are traded on a secondary market, which means that when you're buying or selling an ETF, you're buying or selling that fund from another um, person on an exchange. And so no shares are being sold or bought by the portfolio manager in response to you buying and selling shares. You see what I'm saying? You're not necessarily interacting with the fund company directly. Exactly. You're selling your shares to another buyer of those shares in a secondary market. Versus with a mutual fund, when you're selling shares, you're selling shares back to the fund company. Is that correct? Exactly. And so, now, when, when you have a situation where that supply and demand on the secondary market is mismatched, so there's a net creation of shares or net um, redemption of shares, then you go to the primary market, and that's where you do interact with the underlying holdings. But there's also another um, kind of wrinkle, it's called um, in-kind. And so what that means is um, you, Roman, you're, you're buying uh, ETF shares from a broker, um, that broker will then you know, go, either they're gonna be an authorized participant or they're gonna go through what's called an authorized participant, which is another broker, so to speak. That authorized participant, that special class of a broker dealer, they're the ones that are gonna be dealing with the portfolio management company. And the way they're gonna do that is they're gonna take their, your cash, buy securities, and then exchange those securities for the fund themselves. Now, on the flip side of your redeeming cash, the fund, the portfolio manager, they're not selling shares like they are in mutual fund land. They're giving those ETF shares to the authorized participant. Authorized participant then has to sell those shares into the market, convert them to the shares, sell them in the market, give you the cash. And so mm -hmm. they're at the fund level, there's no turnover, if you see what I'm saying, You're right. like they are in mutual funds. And so there's a lot less capital gains taxes. So you can go, and I'm not saying it eliminates them all, but it minimizes them relative to mutual funds. Yeah, just the mere operational functionality of how investors buy and sell shares makes it such that an ETF should have lower capital gains implications, is what you're saying. Exactly. So when you look at some of these higher turnover ETFs, typically, you know, some of them have upwards of 300% turnover 
but they haven't paid capital gains taxes mm. you know, in years. Right there, that's you know one reason why a a investor seeking more you know tax efficiency in their portfolio might gravitate to an ETF product because let's say they want exposure to large caps, they could buy a large cap mutual fund or they could buy a large cap ETF. And generally speaking, all things being equal, the ETF product would have fewer tax implications or should have fewer tax implications than its mutual fund counterpart. Exactly. And, and I want to focus on the point that the taxes that I'm referring to are the taxes within the fund that you would have to pay as a shareholder. Right. This is a good distinction because there are two levels of taxation in an investor's journey. There's them buying and selling the product and then what we're talking about is at the fund level, right? Right. So when you, if let's say you you bought into an ETF and a mutual fund at a really good time and it, it you really made a lot of capital gains on it, you would have to pay capital gains taxes in the same manner. It's just the fund structures are different. And so right. I want to make that distinction. Yeah, that's a good distinction to make. So for anybody out there listening, if there's, you know, what we're trying to distinguish between is the transaction between the retail investor buying shares of a mutual fund or shares of an ETF and then a few years go by, the shares of the mutual fund go up in value, the shares of the ETF goes up in value, and then the investor sells their shares of that investment product. At that time, they would realize a capital gain and be, um, so to speak, you know, have to pay those capital gain taxes. And that is a that is one level of taxation. But then the second level of taxation is the investor who owned the shares of the mutual fund throughout the years that they own that mutual fund, that mutual fund manager was buying and selling a lot of securities inside of that portfolio, generating additional capital gains that that investor is also on the hook for versus the ETF counterpart, generally speaking, will have less of those at the fund level capital gains implications. And that's what we're trying to, is that, is that what we're exactly. driving at there? Yes. Okay. That is one of the reasons why the you know ETF product tends to get this reputation of it's more tax efficient. Talk to me a little bit more about the liquidity you know, aspect of mutual funds versus ETFs as well. So the liquidity aspect is really different between ETFs and mutual funds. So ETFs can be thought of as, as a stock you know, effectively. So you still have market impact. So what do I mean by market impact? If you're a large investor and you're buying or selling a thinly traded ETF, you know that ETF, um, you, by you buying or selling on exchange, you can affect the price, You know, given how deep the market may be for that ETF at a particular point in time. You may have to buy, let's say you wanna buy more than it's listed on the screen. Um, and this is a problem for very large investors, but you know I think we run into this problem. Um, you have to really watch your, you know, how liquid the ETF is. Whereas mutual funds, if you want to you know, buy shares of a mutual fund, it's a daily process. And so, and the portfolio manager typically will have a little bit more free reign as to how to create those shares, especially if they're active. And so what you need to do is just create those shares on a daily basis. And not, you don't have to worry as much about uh, market impact. You know, theoretically that may be born internally in the fund, but ETFs, you can kind of see it. Also, if you're trading ETFs, um, there will be trading costs. So just like when you're trading a stock. The reason why we really like using ETFs is because you know, we trade securities all day you know, on our trading desk, um, primarily fixed income. We're mindful of the liquidity um, situation in exchange traded funds. Yeah, it sounds that, and if I was to summarize that 
One of the reasons why liquidity on the ETF product is different from the mutual fund product is because on the ETF product, there's an exchange. And that exchange has supply-demand forces at work that, that really aren't as noticeable in, say, the exchange of shares on a mutual fund. For instance, when you talk about the thinly traded um, mutual fund, <clears throat> you know, you're referring to, uh, say, a, a fund, an, an ETF that has a fairly low, you know, say, daily average of volume of shares trading hands. Let's say 30,000 shares, just for the sake of example. If an order came in for an ETF to, you know, offload 50,000 shares, and the average volume of that ETF was 30,000 shares in any given day, that order alone can affect the overall price of that ETF product in a way that's more noticeable. The best way to, to trade that is to interact with the authorized participant, create those shares, that's a, you know, and that's kind of an avenue that we have you know, when we're managing um, and liquidity of these ETFs. Right, so the you know, versus say a mutual fund comes in and if the same thing occurred in a mutual fund, it wouldn't really have the same impact on price that it might have on say an ETF because of this exchange that exists essentially. Right, the, the mutual fund is you are, um, the liquidity management really goes to the portfolio manager of the fund, not, not yourself. So you're gonna put in, um, you know, create shares or redeem shares and that manager will then manage that liquidity themselves to deliver you that cash or create the shares for you. And that's struck at what's called net asset value at the end of the day. On the ETF side, it's really trading. You're, you're the one that's, that's managing that liquidity risk, which I think you know, only really applies to large investors or unless you're trading in, in an extremely thinly traded ETF as an individual investor. This might segue nicely into maybe a discussion about Sage and how Sage uses ETFs because we were approached by some of our fixed income clients back in the 90s to you know, really try and open up their equity exposure. They, they said, hey, you're doing a great job on fixed income. You know, we want some equity exposure. And at the time, we really had two different products that we could look at. We could say, okay, we can put together a portfolio of mutual funds or we can use ETFs. And we decided to go with ETFs. And this was back in, I don't know, was it 98, 99, somewhere around there? It was in 98. 98, and there was 29 ETFs around at, at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So. Why? Why did we decide that ETFs were how we were going to do this? So in 1998, there were really three ways you could manage an equity portfolio for us. It was, like you mentioned, either mutual funds or ETFs, but you could also manage a full-on equity portfolio where you're selecting securities yourself. I think the reason why we chose to go with ETFs at the time was because you know, it really fit in with our investment process and the way we think about the world. And so one of the big pillars of, of how we manage money is we try and manage our, what we call our key risk decisions rather than, than a bottom-up framework. And so what that means in fixed income is that we try and select the right sectors and then, you know, we try to fill those buckets. You know, security selection, bottom-up security selection is really, wasn't really our MO at the time. And so what we wanted to do was find a technology that allowed us to have, you know, an asset allocation type framework, a top-down framework that would give us liquidity. ETFs really fit the bill at the time. Although there were 29 ETFs, the growth of kind of these niche strategies I told you about gave us, you know, regions, sectors, styles, and, and market cap. Um, you talk about smart beta, you know, it gave us tools to be a better asset allocator. So we've developed this kind of our process over time. And so we, 
1998, we started investing in ETFs. We, we created a strategy then, and then over the, you know, really the next 20 years, um, we developed equity strategies, fixed income strategies, balance, target dates. And so we've kind of run the gamut now of managing different types of ETF strategies. So really underlying our ETF philosophy was this idea that we wanted to be in, in, the, in control of the key risk decisions, and after that, we just wanted to passively index against the market segments that we had that we had an interest in right so the you know i think in wrapping up here investors going forward you know now we've got how many etfs do we have now two thousand three thousand somewhere in that ballpark it's about two thousand in the u.s okay so you know it's probably fair to say that etfs are going to continue to you know proliferate and and we're going to get more and more etfs coming onto the market what do you really see as some of the things that investors should be thinking about now going forward into this world of whether I pick mutual funds, whether I use ETFs, whether I use an active manager, whether I use a passive approach? What, what are some of the things that you would be trying to you know, instill in advisors who are trying to advise clients? Well, I think that um, there's been quite a bit of growth in ETFs, and I think that will continue. Um, you're going to see more active managers come to ETF, the ETF structure. And so I think that's really the next, the next phase of the ETF industry is seeing more and more active strategies. You know, one of, the, one of the great things about, and I forgot to mention this earlier about ETFs is, you know, really since, you know, we started in 98, really until the mid 2000s, you know, the US, the market structure, so the way that equities were traded in the US was a fundamental shift. And so, you know, you hear a lot about high frequency trading, electronic trading, algo trading. That really came to place, that really came, you know, really in place in about 2005, 2006. And so, you know, the market has really evolved to be able to trade across different venues. You know, there used to be two major exchanges, NYSE and, and NASDAQ. Now there's nine plus exchanges. And so, and then there's a ton of off-exchange venues where you can trade this, these, these things. And so I think that given the, the proliferation of you know, market structure and electronic trading, it allows more efficient trading of ETFs. So authorized participants can use technology to their advantage to create and redeem baskets and stuff like that. And so I think that it will allow the further growth of the ETF industry into other types of strategies like active strategies. Um, I think for, for folks you know, looking to invest, you know, active, passive, um, I think we mentioned this before, um, you know, we're going into a period where um, volatility is going to be higher. You know, the Fed is pulling out of the market. Um, you know, I think flexibility will be key. So you know, I, think, I think we at Sage are proponents of having some sort of active strategy um, within you know kind of your investment mix. We're big believers in ETFs because of the flex flexibility that it gives us um, the intraday nature, the transparency. And then they're on average they're lower cost or much lower cost. And so you know we think that's that's a more efficient way to access the market. Great. Well Compson, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for all the insight and thanks for tuning in to Sage Advisory and we'll see you next time. Sage Advisory Services is a registered investment advisor that provides investment management services for a variety of institutions and high net worth individuals. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice or an offer or solicitation with respect to the purchase or sale of any security, strategy, or investment product. Investors should make their own decisions on investment strategies 
based on their specific investment objectives and financial circumstances. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. For additional information on SAGE and its investment management services, please view our website at www.sageadvisory.com or refer to our Form ADV, which is available upon request by calling 512-327-5530. Intro music brought to you by Kevin McLeod, Feeling Good, and Comtech.com.